If you would turn your Bibles to Psalm 96, some of you are reading the bulletin saying it says 98. Um, I do that every now and then, but uh, we're going to look at 96 instead of 98, and uh, it's, um, I forgot what page number it's in the bulletin, 426, you might have to turn back to 425, but uh, I'm going to read there in just a minute. Today we're Continuing our summer sermon series on the book of Psalms, we'll end it next Sunday, Labor Day weekend. These are uh, 150 poems given by God to His people as a songbook. And we've said throughout the series that they present this unairbrushed reality of life through the eyes of faith. They reveal to us the character and ways of God, and they give us the vocabulary with which to respond to Him appropriately as the King. Uh, today's a little different. I, I want to briefly, a little bit more briefly than normal, point you to uh, a theme in Psalm 96, and then we'll have the privilege of listening to three stories of how GRC went on mission this summer, declaring God's glory among the nations. Uh, Claude actually preached Psalm 96 last Sunday, and that's why I originally thought, okay, I'll stay away from that. But um, 96 is just the right place to go. And uh, so let me read. Listen carefully. These are God's words. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise His name. Proclaim His salvation day after day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea resound, and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. They will sing before the Lord, for He comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His truth. This is God's Word. Would you bow with me? Lord, we would love to enter into the minds and hearts of the Israelites singing this for the first time, celebrating, praising you, lifting up voices, recognizing that all of creation, in addition, can't help but adore its creator, its maker. Give us that kind of joy. Give us a taste of the jubilant hearts of worshipers as we freshly look at who you are and what you've done for us in Christ. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Psalm 96 is a hymn of praise, and it's all about celebration. Have you ever noticed something instinctive in celebration? Uh, you have the urge to share the experience with other people. And so, First-time parents will, will put a, a pink banner on their front lawn. It's a girl. The neighbors weren't all wondering. They weren't all waiting, flipping the calendar, thinking, is today the day? But the parents, you can't help but 
overflow and announce to the world, we have a baby and it's a girl. If you're at a Yankee game and number 25 sends a text message into the right field second deck, it's August, I need to fantasize a little, forgive me, to win it in the bottom of the ninth inning, you scream and instinctively look at your buddy, you high-five, you give him a bro hug, you, you do the little league dance, you know, jump up and down in jubilation, and, and you even high-five the obnoxious guy in front of you because he felt the urge to turn around to celebrate with you. Celebration always overflows into relationship and sharing the experience with other people. Uh, a couple in our church got married this weekend, and they shared that they couldn't help but overflow as they walked in Manhattan telling people, this is my new wife, and this is my husband, telling perfect strangers as if they cared, especially in New York City. But celebration overflows. It's the natural instinct. It shares good news. Can you believe it? To the Israelites singing this psalm, the defining celebratory event in their history would always have been looking back in history and marveling freshly at God's deliverance of them from slavery in Egypt through the Passover event leading to freedom on the other side of the Red Sea. Annual festival celebrating this, that the centerpiece of Israel's history being salvation. And notice the urge to share that with each other and with others in verses 2 to 3. Sing to the Lord, praise His name, proclaim His salvation day after day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous deeds among all peoples. Sing to the Lord. It's, you're not telling God anything He doesn't know already, but there's something proper in relationship about sharing that experience. Sharing it with the, the people of faith, there's nothing new there, but we do that every Sunday in worship, reminding yourselves of what is most true and telling it to other people. The psalmist is saying that worship celebration leading to evangelism, being on mission, proclaiming the good news of salvation, those are the instinctive, joyful, natural, overflowing responses to God's salvation work. It's what the people of God do. There's simply no biblical category for praising without proclaiming. There's no biblical category for conversion without evangelism. It, it wouldn't make sense if we tried to explain to somebody that we discovered the greatest treasure, not by our own doing, but by God's revealing grace and mercy, and hid it under a bowl, as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Closed, stuck it in the closet. Later on, the psalmist adds this, verses 7 and 8. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory and do His name. It's an old word, isn't it? Ascribe. We don't really use it much, but it's simply saying give credit to God. Recognize, grant these truths about Him. Not that God needs our affirmation to retain His status as the Almighty, as the King above all kings. He is and He always will be, but that mental recognition and verbal affirmation of God's character and God's work have, have these uh, two dimensions that I, I briefly mentioned already. Internally, they, they play a, a critical role in spiritual formation, in, in maturing us into the likeness of Christ. We need these reminders, not just on Sunday mornings, but on a daily basis. This is most true. 
who God is and what He's done for me in Jesus Christ, to counter the messages of the world that are constantly barraging our hearts and minds. And there's also an outward dimension. This mental recognition and verbal affirmation gives gospel witness in an outward direction to demonstrate to people, uh, to, to reveal to people, to clarify for people these things are most true. Our, our hope is that in the internal growth, um, the maturing, the, the reminding of ourselves, for example, in a worship service, as we sing songs, as we read Scripture, as uh, the pastors preach the Word of God, the people of God are saying, yes, amen, that is most true. And uh, those among us who are coming on Sunday who don't profess faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, our hope and our prayer is that you're thinking, these people really believe these things are true. They're singing with, uh, with gusto. They're um, amening. They're agreeing. They're paying attention. They really believe what God has revealed in His Scriptures. There, there's an inward dimension of spiritual growth in this ascribing to the Lord, something He already knows, and there's also this outward dimension in our gospel witness. The king receives glory in either situation. He, he receives recognition of significance that His name deserves through our testimony. Verse 3 says, declare His glory. Verses 7 and 8 say, ascribe to the Lord glory. When I prepared us for worship at the beginning of last week's service, I pointed us to that single word, the idea of glory. The English word glory translates a Hebrew word that means heaviness, weightiness, uh, substantialness. The, the word is kavod. If you recognize and believe that God is most substantial, most valuable, most permanent, immovable, unshakable, when everything else passes away, He will still be, because He always has been, then the natural response to His glory, His weightiness, His not going anywhere-ness is to declare it to the world, because there's something unique alone about who God is, to give Him credit for being the glorious one. And if you have learned this because God has revealed it to you through His Holy Spirit, you've struck gold. The only difference being this hoard of gold, this mine is limitless, and therefore there's no loss to you as you declare it and share it with the world. Pastor and author John Piper says that God's glory is the beauty of His manifold perfections. Think about any character trait, take it to the perfect nth degree, and God has all of them, and His glory is the beauty of all that combined, true treasure absolute beauty, stunning glory. What is going on in us, we have to ask? What's going on in us when we fail to declare God's glory? When we don't ascribe to the Lord the glory that He deserves? It means that we're ascribing to someone or something else glory, substantialness, significance that God alone exclusively deserves. That's why the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every human being is created in the image of God 
to reflect His glory, to be a living example of the all-surpassing worthiness, the, the, the highest treasure, the, the greatest value, the worthiness of God. And when we choose sin, we are saying that something or someone else is more worthy of our heart and mind and will, is more glorious than God Himself. And when we fail to declare God's glory among the nations, we're letting the world continue to think that money, sex, power, status, whatever the world is chasing is more glorious than who God is and what He's done for us in Christ. There's a children's story uh, some of you may have on your shelves at home called The Velveteen Rabbit. And the subtitle is How Toys Become Real. Uh, A stuffed animal that's old and shabby and well-loved by a boy is turned into a real bunny by the magic fairy. Uh, the story's kind of complicated. The, the boy gets sick, and all of his toys need to be burned up in the raging inferno of purifying his room. It, it's kind of a strange story when you think of it. Uh, but the bunny ends up shedding a tear, and the magic fairy realizes because it's been so well-loved, it deserves to be real, and it's tra- tra- changed into a bunny rabbit and off into the woods to be eaten by a fox, maybe. I don't know. But uh, that's how these... Strange stories tend to, you know, um, how toys become real. Biblical truth reveals to us that sin makes us less human. And we might say sin makes us less real. We end up living less substantial lives. Um, We we end up chasing after things that are here one moment and gone the next. Ephemeral stuff. But in contrast, reflecting the glory of the Creator means living a weighty life, one that uh, uh, means something, one with... Don't you hear people say, I want to leave a legacy. You know, I I want my life to count for something. God has revealed to us how to live most substantial, weighty, unshakable, glorious lives because He's revealed to us the glory of of His work of salvation that culminates in Jesus. One of our kids had a a favorite stuffed animal named Hoover. Hoover's an elephant. Hoover looks tired. He's worn out. He's had mommy surgery with needle and thread. He's lost most of his stuffing. Why? Uh, Because uh, Hoover wears it like a badge of honor. That's why we've kept him. Hoover has logged miles from bed to couch to car and back. Hoover has had all-out search and rescue missions at bedtime because we need to find Hoover. He's been smothered, hugged too tightly, slept on, thrown in the washing machine. His tail lovingly endured night after night of being expertly positioned between a sucked thumb and a drippy nose all night long. And contrast Hoover with a Yadro porcelain figurine that sits on a shelf high up behind a glass cabinet. Not to be played with. No, it's too valuable. Not to be taken down. It might get dusty. It sits there. And the question is, which is more real? More loved? Which is really more valuable? more substantial to life and therefore 
closer to the biblical definition of glory, weightiness, which will be remembered and talked about for years to come and make it in the sermon. Hoover or the dancing lady that nobody's ever touched except to pull her out of the box. What, what we'll glimpse in these three stories of GRC on mission this summer, what we'll have the privilege of glimpsing is that God's declaring God's glory and reflecting God's glory in our lives most often involves sharing real life with people sharing mundane, everyday experiences. Not to say that everything that these teams did was mundane. Not, not at all. But they all got messy, in a sense. I don't mean dirty, necessarily. I, I mean earthy, life on life. Like befriending inner city kids during a youth day camp and extending a church's hospitality to the local neighborhood that, frankly, lacks much hope. That's earthy. It's real life. Like high schoolers helping to teach English to immigrants when these kids, Monday through Friday for a whole week in the evenings, could have been at the pool, playing ball, watching TV, doing nothing like high school kids love to do during the summer, but instead investing in immigrants so that they can develop greater life skills and loving them with the love of Jesus earthy, real, substantial, like providing basic medicine and comfort to the sick while doctors provided specialized care. You can't do any of that by writing a check and mailing it in. You can't do any of that by um, well-wishing from afar. I hope your life goes better. Whether it's a phone call or an email or even a, a nice handwritten letter, None of that should come as any surprise to God's people who have tasted salvation because the Apostle John tells us about God the Son, the Savior, who came. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And then he says, we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Glory was real, messy at times not pretty. Isaiah 53 tells us about the suffering servant. People turned their faces from him. He was so earthy and real and raw in his suffering. If glory himself came from heaven to us to rescue sinners like us, how can we hold back from declaring his glory among the nations in our neighborhoods to our children, the glory of Jesus Christ shining light to a lost and dying world. Let me pray. Lord, that's our desire. But as Josh quoted, we are not what we ought to be or hope to be as a church on mission, as a church that overflows with this best of news that Jesus has come, the glorious Son, and that his most substantial, the most substantial work that has ever been accomplished and ever will was the death of, a, of the God-man on a cross and then his walking out of the tomb on the third day. That's glory. Fill us with your spirit, Lord, and drive us to overflow with your glory. We have none in of ourselves. Drive us to overflow with your glory. 
opening our mouths, sharing our homes, opening our uh, checkbooks and pocketbooks and wallets, and scheduling in our calendars, and using our talents all to tell the world that you, Lord God, and your Son, Jesus, are alone glorious. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.